presence, Lord. Perfect. Let me just um, pray before we come around the word this morning while you're still standing. Lord, we thank you for the time we've spent today already surrounding families that we care for with love and with prayer. Praying for children, Lord, that as they grow up in a fast-changing world, so many things that used to be that are not anymore. So many things that today don't exist, but tomorrow they will. Rapid change. Lord, we stand in your presence today aware that the scripture says that you change not. It doesn't mean you can't change, but you choose not to. So Lord, we know that putting our trust in you is putting our feet on some solid ground. Help us, Lord, to, as this message this morning is going to hopefully stir us to think about that we can navigate that balance. Pray for those, Lord, who assembled here this morning whose life is in the middle of a <clears throat> season of turbulence and maybe some ill wind is blowing in your life at the moment. Be praying that you've got your feet firmly planted on the one who changes not. Maybe your life's one of those seasons where it doesn't seem to matter what you do, there's just an abundance coming, abundance of relationship, abundance of um, means, an abundance of sense of purpose and dignity. It's just one of those sweet spots in your life. I'll be praying for you that you never forget the reason you got there because he doesn't change. So, Lord, today I pray you'd open up our ears, our hearts, our minds to be receptive to what you would speak to us about from your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You can tap your neighbour and sit down and say, this is going to be good. <clears throat> and that's a word of faith for you, not for me. You may go and sit down. Thank you. Thanks, team. Appreciate our musicians again this morning. <laughs> a great job. Um, bit of a tough act to follow if you're here for part uh, service number two for the day. At nine o'clock we had the joy of uh, hearing from Emily and Kirby Toma, a couple of up-and-coming preachers in our church, and they did a top job. And uh, I thought, it's the last Sunday we're in Australia for a month or so, and I thought, no, I'd like to actually just go out with a bang, so to speak. No, only joking. So, But I do, I love the privilege it is to bring the Word of God a week in, week out in our church, or whenever I'm on the program to preach anyway. Um, this is the last Sunday of April and we've been looking at a, a shift in our connections throughout this month and I thought it would be really good to just conclude this series and uh, wrap that up with some of the thoughts around Thanksgiving for children, which we've done this morning as, as a church and as a, a family, an extended family. Because um, families are a, quite a, um, they're an amazing thing. When you think about it, families of all shapes and sizes, whether that's a, a single person family through to a family with uh, a whole bunch of kids 
or a multi-generational family, as often was the case in more often in days gone by in the West, but other parts of the world in particular now, multi-generational families still do live under the same roof. And um, when you think about the dynamic of a family and the amount of potential for, for conflict, the amount of potential for just a divergent sets of thoughts and beliefs about what matters and what doesn't, um, it never ceases to amaze me that families even work. And sadly, sometimes they don't. Uh, but the reason that they don't is because of this incredible tension which I alluded to in that prayer. Uh, and I just see this. It's amazing. They were never designed to be static. Families were never designed to just be, well, let's just set it and forget it and just let it sit there and be, look like a garden gnome that doesn't change one year to the next. A family's not that. A, a family's not a monument. It's not a monument to something that's come from the past. A family is a living, dynamic, um, social um, reality that's got a life of its own. And each family that's represented here this morning is unique. Each family here this morning is um, got a purpose from God to do something in the season and history in which we find ourselves living. You and I didn't choose to be here in the 21st century. Somebody else did. We had no say in it whatsoever. It's kind of like um, I want to make sure that whilst I'm here, I'm going to give it my best shot to reflect what it is that God wants, in my case, me to do with my life and uh, for my family to follow suit if they want to. And at this point in time, many of them are wanting to. All of them are at the moment. So um, they're never designed to be static, yet they were designed to be safe. Families are designed to be safe, secure and life-giving to each member, clearly including the children that are born and or adopted into them. This is true of natural family and also the church family. So I see two distinct paradigms exist side by side in families. Two really, so they don't sound like they belong together, but change and stability. Let me say that again. In families, there's this incredible ongoing tension between change and stability, change and safety, change. Because um, it's always changing. We had some families down the front, Emma and John is a, uh, a case in point this morning. Two boys, Mason and Riley, as little people, have had to, besides their mum and dad, have had to get their head around, there's a new member in our family. That is, however you stack that up, that is a massive change. It's like it's no longer just mum, dad, Mason, Riley, it's now and Blake. And it's not like and Blake's attack on at the end, the family's now a family of five. And whatever the dynamic is in your family, your kids, if you've got multiple number of children, each one of the kids that's around has got to get um, their head around the fact my, ch my family's changed. If you're a couple without children at the moment um, and you're contemplating or children are in the, in the wings for you, I've got good news for you. A family's going to change. Peace and quiet of just the two of you under the one roof or if you're a single person and have got any intention of having children uh, and you live on your own, it's kind of like um, I can tell you that Something could change tomorrow. I don't know what it would be, but it's just like I'd say change is a big part of the deal. So how do we navigate that? How do we balance that out? And I'd want to say to you at the outset that, of this message that one of the ways that God's, in my view, um, built us is to live a, in families or at least in community. So uh, that means no one's excluded if a person's not got their own natural family, they're on their own for whatever reason, whether it's the end, the beginning of life or at the, toward the end of, 
end of our lives, we can end up, Julie and I, uh, two people rattling around in a house by ourselves again. So uh, we in, uh, very regularly invite the chaos of our grandchildren into our house because we get a little bit bored sitting there at home twiddling our thumbs. Um, just the two of us, don't we? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and, and more so if, if I happen, either of us happen to be, or if you're a person here this morning, and I, I know some of you are sitting here and, and you are a single person at home, it's like, well, it's, it's pretty quiet there most of the time. Um, and thank God for kids. They really stuff that up. Um, it, it's great. And so um, I love the idea of having kids around to stir the pot um, in every sense of the word. Now, I just want to do a bit of a history walk. It's an introduction to this story today. Um, I'm a little disappointed, really, with the way things have progressed in the last 30 years with regards to uh, nappies. Okay. Just want to give a heads up when um, seeing our grandchildren um, do what they do in a nappy, it's a throwaway Huggies or some other brand equivalent, and they do their business. And sometimes it can be a little bit kind of over the top, or in the case of sometimes it's just outside of the bands of normality. And uh, <coughs> but the point is that whatever happens there, it ends up in a plastic bag uh, in lots of cases and tied up to kill the smell, and then chucked in the trash. And that's the end of it. It's like, see you later, landfill. Good luck with that. Um, back in our day, just saying, back in our day, uh, disposable nappies hadn't really been invented, I don't think. Or well, you couldn't afford them. We just didn't use them. No, just let's, we'll just pretend we're older than we are then. So there is <laughs> just a little older. But, but um, I do distinctly remember that when we lived in Millerton on the York Peninsula where our kids were all born, there were uh, times when it was like perilous to your health to walk into our laundry because there was the bucket with the nappy soaking in it. Anyone remember that? Give me a wave. See that these parents, see these, these, just turn around young people and just, just acknowledge what some of these more older people in the church these old, went through in order for you to be here. And I can remember that, uh, that scraping the stuff off the nappies. I do have to because this is my point. Um, the beautiful, fluffy, white, toweling nappies that were given to us as pre-children gifts very quickly change colour in certain spots. They get stained. Say stained. And you realise that you don't just chuck a fouled nappy in the washing machine, chuck a bit of Omo in and close the lid because that doesn't really resolve the problem. Um, you'll find that the 20 minutes in the washing machine, it's still got a stain on it and maybe more than a stain. It needs to be put in something. It needs to be cleaned up. It needs to be soaked and then it's washed and sometimes the stain will come out. Let's change off of those horrible thoughts to, you know, you, st you could spill a glass of red wine on a really expensive, beautiful lace white tablecloth and it's like, oh, I don't think that's ever going to come out. Say stain. stain. Today we're looking at, and I've used this verse before and told you that it's been rattling around in me and I felt like coming back to it again this morning uh, to wrap up this series and to wrap up these lines of thoughts. 1 John 1 verse 7, so the epistle of John. He writes these words, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
That's a good thing. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I found that scripture, one I've read many times over the years, and just through the last month or two this year, found myself pondering at, at another level, wondering, is there more to this than at first meets the eye? So I've got three little points to make this morning that are built around the three essential elements of this particular verse. First thing is walking in the light as he is in the light. It's talking about Jesus, obviously, or God. Um, the foundation of security in a family. There's lots of things that can be foundational, but the foundation that God intends in a family is him. A, a family that builds itself on a revelation of who God is, and for us, obviously, this side of the cross, that is putting our trust in and having faith in Jesus Christ, his son. John's Gospel so that's prior to these epistles being read, written. He wrote these words in the first chapter. So John chapter 1, verses 4 through 13. In him, this is Jesus, was life, and that life was the light. Say light. light. Say it again with attitude, light. light. The light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. Say light. So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The language that John uses to describe God in both the gospel and in his epistles revolves around two major themes, love and light. And I want to emphasize this morning probably a little bit more onto the side of light. It's the sense in which John's painting this contrast between a person who can actually see where they're going and what their life is meant to mean compared to a person who doesn't get that, who's living in darkness. And you've got to remember, he's writing this in an era where he didn't have a wind farm up the road generating electricity or a Tesla battery at Jamestown giving you power. Um, you might have had a olive oil lamp or a piece of wax with a wick in it, something that you could kind of light if you could find something to light it with to put on a light at night. It's like... Uh, so most places were dimly lit. And so the, the analogy for a person reading it then is um, kind of realising that in a dimly lit room, for example, you trip over things. In a dimly lit room, there's things, that, obstacles that you can't see. There's things that are... And he's contrasting that with when the light, when Christ is actually in your immediate circle of life, there's a light that lights the path other scriptures talk about it. It's your word is a light into my path. The steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. There's a whole bunch of pictures the Bible paints of a person who's near God being able to see where they're going. Jesus himself came and said, uh, quoting the, the uh, prophet Isaiah, I've come to open blind eyes that the, that the blind might see. There's a whole deal about for God about us seeing where we're going. So walking in the light. I'd love to think that our families are places where we teach our children to walk in the light. But what does that actually mean? Well, I think it, at first instance, means to actually teach children how to live a life that Jesus lived, that was living essentially pretty much always and learning to live for the benefit of other people. He was always on, the, on a, a, a mission. Everything he did was about other people. He did a few things on his own that were about sustaining him 
to be available for other people. He disappeared and prayed by himself. So that wasn't about other people as far as the activity was concerned, but the actual activity was uh, filling him with the capacity to come back to help people. I think in the book of Romans it says that Jesus went around doing good and healing every sickness and disease. Wherever he encountered problems, he was available to help. Now he picked and choose, chose what he did with that, and uh, that's another story for another day. But walking in the light, to me, for families, parents, parents who've given thanks to God for your children here this morning, I'd say teach them to walk in the light. That is to be honest. That is to be a truthful person. That's a person who cares for the the uh, oppressed and the poor. It's a person who's got compassion. There's a whole bunch of things that I say would demonstrate to me that a person's walking in the light. Um, not only that, because a person who's got good intentions and good character can do all those caring things. A person walking in the light's got a visible and easily spoken of relationship with God. I, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. No problem saying that. It's like that's also part of walking in the light. As the world gets darker around us, it's going to be a dangerous thing to say you're a Christian. It's not at the moment in our country, but I would be reasonably confident to say that in, I reckon before I kicked the bucket, given that that's another 20 years or whatever, I don't know when that will be, I would not be surprised if it's a dangerous thing to stand up in Australia and say, I'm a Christ follower. It's just where it's headed. The world's not heading anywhere. It's just light. There's light because the light of the world is Jesus. If he's rejected, then all I can say is it's going to get darker. That's just what I think. I don't know what you think, but that's what I think. Um, so Jesus is the true light. Walking in the light means walking with him, living with him as if he were present in every aspect of our lives. You know, are there things today, if you thought about your own circumstance for a moment, that you or I hanging on to in the way of attitudes, grudges, Confusion, hard-heartedness, unforgiveness. That at their core, we would know that Jesus wouldn't condone or say that's a good thing to keep a hold of. My question when I discover those things in my life is, why do I hang on to them? Is it pride? Is it just ignorance? Is it just hard-heartedness? Some of us in this room would pride ourselves, and I don't mean that in a judgmental way, but we'd pride ourselves on being pretty stubborn. Anybody here like to wave the flag and say, I'm a stubborn person? Give me a wave. Come on, be confident, stubborn people. What? Not putting your hand up. See here, exactly. I love it. He's too stubborn. Yeah, perfect answer. Are there others that wanted to say that but don't mean, know me like my son Simon does that wanted me neither? So, yeah, okay. Um, but Jesus is not about condemning us for those things. He's about leading us away from them. He's about leading us out of what is darkness into light. You ever notice when you go into a darkened room that after a few minutes you become accustomed to the lack of light? That's an analogy for us when we get caught up in things like unforgiveness. We kind of get used to it. We kind of get used to having an attitude that's hard-hearted or we get an attitude that's self-centred kind of that very popular thought of being a totally narcissistic person. It's all about me. It's like when we live in that zone, we often can be operating out of a room that's poorly lit, but it seems normal until someone takes us outside and puts us in. It's like, whoa, that's bright. It's like, what was I doing living in that? We need people, family, parents, friends, 
people who actually love us to say, don't live there, Bruce. There's a way brighter place, much more uh, life-giving place to live than that. That's, that's the journey of the cross. That's the point of Jesus dying, is that we don't have to live bound with these things and in ignorance. He, he is the light. The light's turned on. Sometimes it's a little embarrassing to have the light shine, shining on us when we uh, don't expect it to be. This is a question without notice, but I got down in the first service uh, from doing something. It might have been the tithes and offerings. I've got a microphone that I generally turn off and on. Some places, the sound crew turn the microphones up and down. I like it to be up, and I just turn myself off and on. But I got off the stage, sat down, and sat in my seat, and I realised I left my microphone on, and nothing out of front of the house, but all the musicians hear Pastor Bruce. And I sat down there, and I thought, I hope I didn't say anything I shouldn't, because I'm one of those people who talks to himself. Not always good. And I thought, oh, what did I say? Did I say anything I shouldn't have Solomon? Thank goodness for that. It's all good. <laughs> anyway, it's just, that's just life. Like, well, that was, it was for me, a, 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 that was a, like a shining light moment on me. It's like, anybody ever gone, uh-oh. It's like, that's embarrassing. Walking in the light is meant to, with time, cause that to not be an issue. Now, I'm just telling you, the clock at the back is telling me I've got it's only quarter to 11. I've got hours to go with this message. <laughs> it must have stopped. It did. It's all good. I'm not going in that long. It's all good. Okay, so five past 12. Julius has given me the drum. Rightio. Um, <clears throat> so what else does it mean? Well, walking in the light. If you want any more information, let's just step a, few, a chapter ahead in the epistle of John. 1 John 2 verses 9 and 11 says this. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. There is right there, straight up. We're called to love. We're called to actually, genuinely love one another. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. So the scripture is really, and John uses the language deliberately, walk, say walking. Say it again, walking. It's not static. Life's not meant to be a place where we stop there's nothing wrong with stopping, but stopping permanently is not the point. It's a life we're actually called to journey through life. It is a journey. And we don't want to stumble. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. And I'll be to say to you, walking in darkness is not fun and it's tiring. You ever think about walking out in a... Um, uh, like years ago camping, we used to go for bush walks when we were in the Grampians and walking in the moonlight even is actually tiring. You've got to concentrate. You've got to keep an eye on everything in front of you so you don't trip over a rock or a branch or step in something you don't want to step in. It's kind of like, um, you just, it's, it's tiring. But if the lights are on, it's like you see all these obstacles coming. You can see for, for miles. It's a beautiful thing. So um, first key for a family, help your kids to walk in the light. Second key that's here for us is uh, in this verse 1, John 1 verse 7, is fellowship with one another. Um, one of the big wins for walking in the light is seeing the value of relationships. The value of relationships and then being in them. Darkness leads to loneliness, but walking in the light will connect us well with many people. Um, so as I've briefly stated before from this pulpit, um, most of our future 
Most of the things that are going to mean more to me than anything else are located in other people. So if there's gold, and just using it as something of value, rubies or precious stones that God has hidden for me, for my life journey, not from me, but for me, I am absolutely of the view he's hidden them in the people that I'm supposed to meet along my journey. And if I think that I'm going to become anything to just being a good person, I'm sadly missing the point. I've got to be a person who's pursuing God, yes, but I've got to be committed to relationship with you and you with me so that we can discover the gold that's hidden in a relationship. Relationships are a phenomenal thing. That's why they're so, uh, that they can be fragile. They can be really toxic. They can become complicated. But when they're working, they are the best thing ever. When they're not working, they're the worst thing ever. They're, they're just they're so, so tough. So things to ponder here. How much do I value other people in my life? How, how do you demonstrate? That's another question. Not only the ones that you like and choose, but whatever the people that you work with that you don't like. Is it possible that God's hidden a gem for you in the person you least want to spend time with? It's like, wow, it's like, that's, a, that's a scary thought. What about that crazy neighbour over the back fence that's kind of leaned over the fence and abused the heck out of you? It's like, well, I'm not talking to them again, but what if? What if God's wanting you to learn something about you by your encounter with that, that loud-mouthed so-and-so. It's like, oh, I'm not going to speak to them, but what if I'm supposed to? What if I'm supposed to just go the extra mile and lean back into the conversation and say, hang on a minute, it's like, um, and it's just a little hypothetical. How close do I need to be to people? Like, how close is too close? And I think there's not a wrong or right answer to that, but you'll work it out as you go. It's like sometimes um, there's people that we don't, and we're never meant to get that close to. But that doesn't mean they don't, and we don't have things to exchange in our relationship. <clears throat> what do I nearly always withhold? This is a good question. I found tumbling out of the page. What do I nearly always withhold from a friendship? If anything, what, sorts of, what, what part of you do you very, very cautiously reveal? Because of maybe past hurts, maybe things that have been complicated. Maybe you were brought up with a little mantra from a parent or an uncle or an aunt or some influential person, a school teacher, that's still buried in your, in your being and it actually is a restrainer from you entering into a relationship. It's like, what is that? My position is that walking in the light, God wants you, this is where we get back to my nappies thing, to realise that it's a journey of removing the stain. It could be the whole of your life. It might be that that's whatever that thing is and whatever the circumstance around, maybe even the way you're wired, but something that's gotten onto you, something that's become part of who you are or maybe even how you started out in life, just the way you're wired, but it's actually a stain that requires a journey for the whole of your life for it to be minimised, reduced or eradicated. And we sometimes in the 21st century have got a microwave mentality about how God works. It's like snap our fingers. We name it and claim it. We pray it. We're people of faith. And those things are all at one level kind of okay. And most levels not ever okay. But um, my journey with God has been one that there are things that are instantly fixed. 
I've seen people instantly healed, people instantly give up smoking. We've prayed for people to stop smoking, they have. We've prayed for other people and 20 years later they still cannot get past that addiction to nicotine. It's like, and their journey is one of, at times, despair. Why can't I quit? Why can't I give that up? <clears throat> it's a mystery. To me, the analogy of the nappies in the bucket is this. Sometimes you just got to soak. Sometimes you've got to understand it's going to be a soaking process and you get pulled out after a day and it's, it's like, oh, the stain's still there. Back in the bucket. Clean the water out, put a fresh bunch of chemicals in there and let's do it again. And bit by bit by bit, that stain can be removed. And this is where we move on to the third point of this message is that it says, and these appear to be strange companions in a sentence. Walk in the light as he is in the light and we'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. I'm still trying to digest why that is all in the one sentence. And I've come to this conclusion that um, and it centers around a thought I think I've already put before you, but I want to reiterate again this morning. I think there's a sense in which we've got to understand on the cross our sin and its ability to keep us disconnected from God was totally dealt with in a split second of time on that cross in Jerusalem 2,000-ish years ago. <clears throat> and that was because of the blood of Jesus. Somehow, and we've got to get ahead around, and I'm just saying this is how I'm understanding it at the moment, there's this sense in which his blood, it says, cleanses us from all sin. I think with the intent of what John is saying in this epistle, that he's saying the blood of Jesus is like a substance. Well, it is a substance, but just hear me out here. It's a substance that washes through us, not only just that one split second, it washes through us and over us through our journey. So that if we are walking in the light, we're going to be walking alongside people of all kinds of persuasions and whatever. We're going to be in fellowship. And at the same time, there's going to be this ongoing cleansing of us. In other words, the things that prevent... So, for example, I could say to you, I'm good friends with, say, 20 people in our church. I'm the pastor of a church of hundreds of people. But I'm close friends with 10. I would say for me, in some respects, let's just remove the ability to have time to do it all but bear with the analogy part of the the cleansing thing for me is getting impediments and attitudes out of my heart that prevent me from being friends with that person or that person because their interests or their attitude or their life experience or whatever doesn't resonate or gel with me I'd hate to think that I end up with my life going there's a whole bunch of people I couldn't relate to because of stuff in me and I think this scripture is saying to me Take, take a heart, Bruce, because walking in the light, being in fellowship and the blood of Jesus, not only is it set you free from the power of sin and death, it is cleansing you. It's actually releasing, it's getting stuff out of you that allows you to live more fully for the benefit of other people and all sorts of people. I think that's a pretty good deal. So we can truly get stuck in our assumption or even arrogance of how this thing works. So to wrap up, <clears throat> our children need us to teach them to walk in the light more than ever, more than ever to be kids who know how to forgive. My goodness, it's a, uh, it's a sad thing in my view to, to watch the world 
running down a road where the last thing on the table publicly appears to me to be forgiveness. It's a wonderful thing to see it appear occasionally in the public domain. There was an incident, I think, earlier in this year where um, a young driver was convicted of driving dangerously and resulting in the killing of his best friend. And uh, there was a news report out the front of the court, I think it was here in Adelaide, of the guy that was driving, who's still alive, who'd just been charged and found guilty of that, coming out of the court before he sentenced, alongside the mother of the child who was killed. And out of her mouth, <clears throat> to this moment, even thinking about it, makes me weep. Arms around the kid who killed her own son. He said, I forgive him. And I thought, about blinking time, we got something like that in the news instead of someone demanding their rights, stomping their feet, saying it's not fair. It's like, that to me was a woman with absolute courage and guts. I thought, good on you, lady. Praise God. I don't know whether she's a person who believes or doesn't believe. It's beside the point. She took the higher ground of forgiveness. We've got to teach our kids to forgive. And to teach our kids that sometimes you're going to get walked over like Jesus did and you just stand up and say, I forgive them. Walk in the light. Second thing we've got to teach them is to value relationships over personal gain or advancement. You know, you can, you can do that um, with kids playing games. I got cleaned up by Mason playing Monopoly last week. He's never played the game before. And I thought, how hard can it be to beat a seven-year-old who's never played the game? <laughs> Two hours later, he's got five hotels, <laughs> about $3,000 on his side of the table, and I landed on one of his blocks of land with a hotel on it. And he didn't understand the game was over. He said, well, how can it be over? We, it's like there's still all the hotels in the box and there's money in the bank. I said, mate, I've got nothing. If, <laughs> clean me out. Great, great learning place. Like, so he didn't even know the purpose of the game was to clean me up, but he did. Um, you could teach your kids. And take the time to teach them. There's a time and a place for, for giving it your best shot. But if it's at the expense of another person, maybe it's not the smartest way forward. Relationship is, is absolutely paramount. Failing relationships paramount. And then finally, realising that some mistakes and areas of failure will be a lifelong quest to overcome and or conquer. If you're discouraged this morning in your own life with a habit that you're finding really hard to break, maybe an attitude that you've thought you'd dealt with or an arena of unforgiveness. Someone's actually seriously violated you and we live in a season where that gets a lot of airplay, as it should. Um, those things are wrong, whatever they might be. Um, I want to say to you that, that God is able to help anyone who turns to him, who walks in the light, finds relationship valuable, and commits to the, at maybe the outset, the challenge of a relationship. When you've been hurt, seriously hurt, finding relationships can be extremely dangerous in the sense of, I don't think I can. But I want to say to you, the Bible, to me, indicates it's worth the pain. It's worth the, the, the challenge that it might be for you in the first instance to find people that, that are trustworthy, that you can walk with, to find people that have got your back, people who've learned to live for the benefit of others and keep walking with them so that the stain, and I don't mean that's 
I, I mean, and I just use that word carefully, but it's, that, it's the mark of an issue. It's, the, it's marked you somehow or other. Maybe that's a more pleasant word to use. I don't want stain to have a connotation that I don't mean. It's kind of like this, this sense, it's an impediment. Uh, it's like a rock stuck in your shoe. It's like take the shoe off, get the stone out, get it out of there so you're not comf- uncomfortable. It's like, well, that might take a few steps down the road to get there. So I realised that some mistakes and errors of our life will be long and sometimes difficult. So teaching kids patience, teaching kids to do without, teaching kids to save, teaching kids to not always get what they want when they want it. It's like that's a quest of learning how the blood of Jesus, the language that John uses, cleanses us from all sin. It's kind of a journey. Would you stand to your feet with me? So we, Julie and I, just so love that moment of praying for families in our church. Love praying for anybody, for that matter, but it is such a sacred thing to assist families to do what they do, bringing up their children well. Um, Don't ever feel like you're on your own, and if you do feel like you're on your own, for goodness sake, reach out to somebody and say, I'm feeling real lonely. I'm feeling very isolated in this parenting thing. And that sometimes can be irrelevant to whether you're actually in good connections with people. The loneliness thing's got nothing to do with the proximity of people. It's got to do with what's going on in here. Walk in the light, let relationship flourish, and he will cleanse you. Interesting, Emily quoted um, in the first service. I thought, hang on a minute, she's stolen some of my info. Um, uh, It is a sad fact that one in four Australians have reported that they feel lonely. Another statistic that's starting to cause concern for sociologists is that, and even town planners for that matter, that one in four Australian households today is a single person living in a single dwelling, whether it's a house or a unit, it's not the point. And they are, sociologists are looking at trend lines with that and don't see anything shifting positively. In other words, that's going to become a larger portion of our community, people living on their own. That's got some other issues that are going to become very apparent in the days ahead. One of the things I love about church One of the things I believe that church is actually meant to bring into the community amongst the other things of the gospel of Jesus is a place to belong, a family where you are valued, a family where you fit, a family where it's okay to be making mistakes. You know, church, not just our church, but church historically hasn't done that well. Sadly, in the public arena, in my view, people are... um, I think, presented with a judgmental, finger-wagging church. You shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. That's not how God sees people at all. So we want our community of believing people here to be one that embraces people. But I've got to tell you, it's not embracing them and staying where they are. Never is not one person in this meeting that I know of that's a Christian that's following Jesus is what is who they were when they met him. They've moved on. And that's the point of the Christian life. 
Let me pray to come to a close. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning as we've had this time together. The families are something that you created. Human beings are extremely sociable. But Lord, with that great joy that relationship brings us comes great responsibility and great tragedy at times. Father, we as a group of people here this morning just cry out to you for the families in our country that are torn apart by domestic violence and abuse. Children are not finding the environment they're in safe and secure. We pray, Lord, that as much as it's up to us, in whatever contexts we find ourselves, we can become people who bring answers and hope and love and light into those complicated situations that we might personally encounter. And we pray for those people that help families, the government agencies that are designed to intervene in some of those scenarios. Lord, it's just a complicated part of our world. And we just lift it up to you, Lord, and say, let families flourish in our country. Pray for every family represented here this morning, Lord, if there's stains, if there's marks, if there's stones in the shoes of anyone standing here right now with regards to their family. Pray, Lord, today that a miracle, the miracle of release, the miracle of cleansing would continue. Maybe it's time to go back in that bucket for a second soaking or a third or a fourth or a fifth. So that the day of freedom eventually comes over the horizon and we find ourselves totally released. So help every one of us, Lord, to keep walking. Bless the kids that are in the children's program this morning, Lord, and every family as we head out into the rest of this day. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, before you sit down, I always ask this question at the end of one of our church services because that's why we came here came here to give thanks for children this morning. We came here to worship God. We came here to bring offerings. You might have come this morning because you were asked to come as um, part of the extended family of one of our families, and we're so thrilled that you did. But I know as we assemble in a place like this and the Word of God is preached and stuff just happens on the inside of us. And so we always give you a few moments at the end of a service like this to think about where you are and where you're located in your connection with God. It's not a matter of pondering the mechanics of who, how, what, where and when when it comes to God. The book of Hebrews is pretty plain. It's like you just, you've got to believe he exists to come to him. So first and foremost, I say, if you believe God exists, that's a good start. But he doesn't want to be left in any life just as a belief or a figment or a... He actually desires relationship with us. So Jesus died on the cross so that the sin that keeps us separated from God is dealt with. And then at every turn, God's looking for avenues. And this is one of them. This meeting right here today, right now, for you to hear an appeal to come to him, to come to God in faith. Say, yeah, I do believe. 
How do I get to know God better? You need to receive and have faith in Jesus, his son. It's kind of theologically where we sit as a church. And Jesus is his son. He did die on a cross. He was raised to life again on a Sunday after dying on a Friday. And the Holy Spirit's been sent into planet Earth so that we can interact with God meaningfully and personally. If you've never invited Christ into your life, we'd love to pray with you this morning. Don't want it to be a place of embarrassment or difficulty for you in the first instance. But there is a point where you need to declare, that's me, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, you've never prayed a prayer, you might have been in church for years, but never actually said these words yourself, I want to come to Christ. Or maybe you've been in that place, but for whatever reason, you know that your ability to put your trust in God is just, the journey's taking you somewhere else. And here you are, you find yourself in this meeting this morning, listening to me right now, inviting you. Why don't you come back to him? Why don't you just turn around and say, Lord, I want to come back. I want to come back into a meaningful relationship with you. You could do that today here as well. So if you've never invited Christ into your life, or if you have and you know you've wandered a long way away from that, why don't you turn around and say, Lord, I, I really am sorry that I've done that. I want to come back to you. If that's you, you need for those spaces in your world just give me a wave and say that's me Pastor Bruce I'm not going to ask you to come out of your seat I'm not going to do anything other than ask you to slip your hand up and if someone does put their hand up we'll pray pray a prayer together that invites Christ to come and dwell in our lives afresh anyone at all thank you Lord well let me pray to close the meeting this morning Heavenly Father as we head out into the week we pray that we'd walk in the light that we'd value our relationships And Lord, that we be aware that uh, we're being cleansed day by day. As the scripture describes it elsewhere, being transformed from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, amen.